All right, good evening, everybody. As it was mentioned this morning at the end of the services, we are going to uh, piggyback a little bit on our series from the morning, as we did last week, and then this uh, tonight. I'm going to be looking at uh, a portrait of Peter, definitely a prominent player in the uh, Passion Week and before and beyond it. But I think as we look into this together, we'll give a little flyover of some of the highlights and lowlights of Peter's life and uh, talk about how this is irrelevant for us and we can learn from him today. And I think we'll have a good time doing so. So you'll have to trust me with some of the passages on the screen behind me because it's going to be hard for you to keep up a little bit because we'll kind of be all over. So just uh, settle in and look on behind me uh, as we look at the life of Peter. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, I connect with Paul as a teacher Right? Can you relate to that? Some of you really enjoy Paul as a teacher, and he's one of the prominent theologians of the New Testament. But I connect with Peter as a person. Can you relate to that? All his failures, all the things that uh, are written down that we know, all the areas that he screwed up. Uh, one person said about Paul in Philippians, he said, not that I have already attained these things, as Paul's way of telling the Philippian church that we looked at in our last series, I don't want you guys to think that I am perfect, but he says, you notice you never hear Peter saying that. <laughs> like he's not writing and saying, not that I've already attained these things. I think everyone would be like, hey, Peter, like we know that you aren't perfect, all right? And I think we can connect a lot with him because he's a portrait that is relatable to us. And ultimately, I think Peter is a portrait of the Christian life in many ways. Sometimes he was sinful, and sometimes he was really righteous and did an awesome job. MacArthur, in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, titles Peter as the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He was always speaking on behalf of the group and often speaking before thinking. He was given a nickname by Jesus. His real name is Simon, but Jesus called him Peter, meaning rock or a stone, And Jesus used this name interchangeably with Simon, his given name. Often he would call him Simon when he was acting like his old way of life, his life before he knew Jesus, and would often refer to him as Peter when he was acting in such a way that resembled his new identity that was given to him by Jesus Christ. And so what I want to look at with us tonight is if Peter were here and we were able to go through his time hop, what would we learn? Now, some of you are familiar with time hop. Others of you are not, so I'll explain it real quick. Time hop is where uh, it's an app that takes all your social media and puts it all together, and you can scroll through it and show you what happened or what you posted a day, uh, a year previous to the day that you're in right now. And it goes as far back as you have things going on. So I'll show you a few of mine here. So this is from nine years ago. That was in my old house in Highland Park, and I had several of the guys over and we dogpiled because the Monday night football game was really boring. And uh, you see John and Daniel Nimmers in there, Sam Hardy, and I think uh, Caleb Pilcher down there at the bottom. We'll go to the next one here. This is from eight years ago. This is when uh, Brian Moran, who used to go to this church but has since moved with his family to Ohio, he was an F-16 pilot and shared his testimony with the youth group. And I got to live my childhood dream of of acting as a pilot after the night was done. And then you'll see the next one here. Uh, I thought this was interesting. This is from this week, and I was penetrating my heart was Peter. Looking forward to teaching about him tomorrow night as I'm looking forward to a great Bible teaching at the Gospel Coalition next week. That was eight years ago this week. And then the next one here we have uh, five years ago. That today I was walking the Brooklyn Bridge. 
And then after that, let's see, we got, oh, this was two years ago at the Gospel Coalition. We went as a pastoral staff and some others, and uh, we got this awesome urban picture in front of this guy's apartment that was probably creeped out by our picture outside his door. But we took that together two years ago nonetheless, and I think that might be it. So, oh, no, this is, uh, sometimes you can do side-by-sides of time hops from like nine years ago, and then you can recreate it. And so this is my daughter, Ava, and I, when she was just born, and this is her as a 10-year-old laying on daddy's chest again, and we both have aged quite a bit since then. So, so what I want to look at tonight is Peter's time hop. I want to just kind of go through his life, work through it together, and if he were here to be able to talk through some of these things and talk us through what he learned as a result of reminiscing back on his life. And I think maybe one of the first places that we were were to look through, maybe in the good and the bad and the ugly, was the time that Peter confessed Jesus as the Son of God. Now, this would have been a high moment in Peter's life, right? He says, oh, I remember this picture. This was when I confessed Jesus as God. All the guys were hanging out around, and Jesus asked, who is it that the people say that I am? People said, the guys said, well, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, or one of the other great prophets. And Jesus turned to me, and in Matthew chapter 16, it says this, Simon Peter replied when they asked, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus asked them collectively, who is it that you say that I am? And Peter responds, and he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're not just a great teacher. You're not just one of the prophets. And Jesus says, you're correct. And this wasn't something that you came up with on your own. This was revealed to you by God himself. And on this bedrock truth is the truth that I'm gonna build my church on as the foundation of the church, myself, Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against my people who have come to know me. And this is the confession that we must build our church on, right? The cornerstone, the one that, that one that Peter speaks of, this unstoppable people that God has brought together that was revealed to Peter in that moment, this confession, this truth still remains true for today. Now, can you imagine how Peter felt in that moment? That you just spoke on behalf of God? I would imagine that Peter kind of popped his collar a little bit at that point, right? And he's like, wow, look, hey guys, did you notice that? Like I got the answer right Everything was uh, exactly right on. Did you guys hear what I said? And then the passage goes on a little bit, though, in the same chapter, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 21 to 23. It tells us that, uh, verse 23, 21 and 23, do I have that one back there? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew 16, verse 21 and 23. This is where uh, Peter, actually, after this moment, rebukes Jesus. So he's feeling, I promise this is probably the only time it'll happen tonight, but don't hold me on that, all right? Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. 
says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed on the third day and be raised. Now Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. But he, that is Jesus, turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Peter goes back, and he, is, he rebukes Jesus. Now, he's feeling like an expert. He's feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He actually calls him Satan. He says, get behind me. Now, I would imagine at that point, his buddy John kind of walks over and goes, let me help you out a little bit there, buddy puts his collar down of his robe for him a little bit, buttons it back in, and Peter's a little bit distraught here as Jesus himself is calling him his enemy. He says, you are a hindrance to me. You're not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, isn't that so easy to do? We're saying all the things about God. We're, we're doing great with him. And then all of a sudden, in the very next moment, we're setting our mind on the things of man and we're actually thinking that Jesus is wrong and we're the ones that have it right. We have suffering in our lives. Promises that we think Jesus is supposed to fulfill. Things that we think that he's supposed to do that don't line up with our plan and what he wants. This is Peter saying, this isn't what's making me happy. This isn't what I expect you to do, Jesus. And he pulls him aside and Jesus says, no, that's Satan speaking. That's not from God, that's from the devil himself. So you kind of see here already, right away, how we can be firing on all cylinders and in the next moment be totally off and have to be corrected by God. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, we have that one correct, there we go. This is where Jesus, so we'll read it together. And Peter answered him, Lord, Jesus, they just got done feeding the 5,000. And Jesus is out, the, sends him out in the boat. And you know the story, perhaps, that the disciples are going crazy because there's this huge storm and they think they're all gonna die. And then to make matters worse, they start seeing ghosts, all right? And it says, and Peter answered him when they realized that the person walking on water isn't a ghost at all, but it is God himself, it's Jesus. He says, command me, Lord, to come out onto the water. And Jesus said, come. Now, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, that's pretty sweet, right? I mean, he's demonstrating some great faith here. Imagine this. Just a moment ago, he thought this was a ghost out on the water. And now he's not, Jesus isn't commanding him to come out on the water. Peter says to him, Jesus, if, if that's you, command me to come out to you. He's asking him. He says, let me come out there and walk on the water with you. And you notice we give Peter a hard rap, but everyone else is still hanging out in the boat, in the security of the boat. But here's Peter stepping out in faith. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink down, he cried, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the winds ceased. So here is Peter, He's sitting in the boat, soaking wet, being saved by Jesus. And he's exercised this moments of great faith of stepping out onto the water. And then he 
sees the raging winds, he sees the effects of the winds around him, the giant waves, and he starts to freak out. He starts to take his eyes off of Jesus, and this great leap of faith turns into a very a big lack of faith. And what he's actually doing sets in on him, and he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to look at the rest of the world, the waves around him. Can you relate? Stepping out on faith with Jesus, and I'm doing what God has called me to do, but so often the cares of the world around us take our eyes off the author and perfecter of our faith. But Jesus is there in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the storm, and he brings him back over to the security of the boat. Now, I can imagine Peter's probably a little bit disappointed with himself and a little bit very much so glad that Jesus had saved him, but wishing he would have exercised some more faith, more than he already had. But here's something that's interesting to notice here, is Jesus didn't stop being who he was, even though Peter lacked faith. He still was everything that he didn't, his, Peter's faith didn't determine how great Jesus was. But here's what Jesus is calling Peter into, to come and experience living by faith. In the midst of the wind and the waves, I'm controlling those wind and waves. And I'm summoning you to come, keep your eyes on me in the midst of the storm. I think God is taking many of us, if you're not in a storm right now, he's moving you into one. And he's asking you, you've shown great faith in me. And you're seeing the world around you and it's easy to get distracted and take your eyes and move somewhere else. But I want you to be laser focused in on me as the author and perfecter of your faith. So one time I was in New York City when I was a college student and I was at a Yankees game. And uh, we decided that we were gonna go to this Yankees game and we had tickets to sit in the bleachers. And uh, we uh, got into the Bronx, we took the train in, and they were playing the Oakland A's that day. And I remember thinking, okay, our goal, well, none of us are Yankees fans, me and my two other friends, we're gonna sit in the bleachers and we're gonna cheer for the Oakland A's. <laughs> and I remember sitting down in the bleachers, and I didn't know how, how, just how tight things were. Like I had a large lady sitting directly behind me eating nachos, and she was so close, like I could use her knees as leg rest, right, and kind of just share her nachos with her. That's how close we were sitting to each other. But I saw an Oakland A's fan walking into the stands, wearing all decked out in his A's gear, and I saw something amazing happen. This guy had food thrown at him, he was booed out of the stance. People did not stop booing him, like right in his face until he got up and left. And me and my friends kind of looked at each other at that moment and said, go Yankees, right? <laughs> we were the biggest Yankees fans you'd ever seen that day. We even went and like, signed up for a free credit card so we'd get one of those cheap Yankees jerseys to wear while we were in the bleachers. And we totally gave in, we caved under pressure. And I was thinking about that this week. Peter's known for his denial. I don't wonder how I would have responded. I wonder if I was in the same situation. Now, I have something living inside of me that Peter didn't have. And I think that would have helped, but I think about so often how many times I've denied the Lord, and he, Peter would be scrolling through his time hop, and he would see this picture, and he'd be like, oh, that one hurts. That's the time that I 
denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. This one stings. He remembers the tears when he wept bitterly. He remembers what, as John records, looking into the eyes of Jesus after the third time. But all the rest of them leave. It's only Peter and John who were there at the trial of Christ, and the servant girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, you were with Jesus. Comes up to him again and says, aren't you the one that was with Jesus? And then a third time in Mark chapter 14, verse 70 and 72, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. He began to swear. He says, I do not know this man whom you speak of. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept bitterly. You know what I find so interesting is that this account is found in the book of Mark. Now there's some argument about this, but many believe that the book of Mark is actually the eyewitness account of Peter. And I find it very fascinating that if that's true, that the longest and most detailed description of the denial of Peter was provided by Peter himself. Why? Why can't you just say, hey, Matthew's already dealt with this. Let's just skip this part, you know? We don't need to do this. But this is there for us to identify with, to question what we would have done, what we would do now here in this moment, and to learn from this. That Peter messed up royally. Have you messed up before? I have. But this is included in here, not just to give us a historical account of what happened, although it does, but to give us hope and to show us a little glimpse into what our Savior is like after we failed. Because the next picture that he'd be scrolling through on his time hop is that time that Jesus restored me. Peter, after the, the resurrection, he says to the other guys, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I've done. Let's go out and let's fish together. And they go out and they don't catch anything all night. And they're, as you can imagine, these are experienced fishermen and they're frustrated. And the morning comes along and there's this guy on the shore and he calls out, hey, did you guys catch anything? And I'd imagine Peter goes, did you guys catch anything? Right, in his mind. He's frustrated. No one tells us. He says, he says, no, we haven't. And the guy yells, put your nets on the other side and see what happens. And so they oblige and they do it and they catch so many fish that they can't even, the, the nets are ripping as they haul it in. And then John turns and says, it's the Lord. And then John 21, verse seven through nine records, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment. He stripped from his work and threw himself into the sea. Can you just imagine that? Here's Jesus, Peter, this is eagerness. I don't think we can learn so from this, just to, to see Jesus, that he jumps out into the water and he just starts swimming. He's like, I'm not waiting for these fish. I'm not waiting for you guys to haul this in. I'm going over to him. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but 100 yards off. So not even that far off. Right? I mean, it's, it's the, they probably arrived to the shore about the same time that Peter did as he was swimming there. But that's his eagerness to see Jesus. And then he saw a charcoal fire in the place with fish laid out on it and the bread. Now, I think that's Jesus' greatest miracle of all. If you've ever tried to light a charcoal fire, 
I know I have. <laughs> I would have been like, that's amazing, right? Uh, that, that's, that's amazing. I say that facetiously. It's not Jesus' greatest miracle, but that's still pretty impressive. Amazing what he was able, that he was doing this. And serving Peter fish, what he knew, what was familiar to him, because he was about to restore him. In verses 15 to 19, tells us when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Many people say he's pointing to all the fish that they had just bought or, or they caught or some of the other disciples. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know I love you. Everything you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I just love our Savior, don't you? There's a lot that goes into this text that we can't unpack, but he gives Peter the opportunity to three times tell Jesus he loves him with the three times that he denied him. And three times... Jesus tells him, you're gonna tend my sheep. You've screwed up, but I'm not done with you yet. It's not over for you, and this is his restoration of Peter. John MacArthur also points out that this is the last time that Jesus calls him Simon. Putting a, a new identity here, and he said, from now on, you're gonna be used greatly. You're not gonna be perfect. You've screwed up, you've messed up, but I'm still going to use you. We've asked this before, why does God use broken, messed up people? Because that's all that there is. Maybe you're out there and you can relate to this. A moral failure in your life. You've screwed up in other areas and you're wondering, can, can God still use me? The hope of the gospel and the hope of, of Jesus Christ is yes, he can use you. Turn from it if you haven't yet. Maybe it's in the past. You're thinking, I, I could never get over that. You can't change your past, but God can use you if you make yourself available to him, and he'll restore you. Peter would go on and would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so would all who called upon the name of the Lord for, this, for that, that generation and all who would call upon him. And he had something inside of him that was better than knowing and living beside Jesus. He had God living inside of him. And he gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches boldly Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the scriptures and the only way of salvation. And 3,000 people receive Christ. The church begins and Peter gets a second chance. God is still using him, but that's not his only chance. He would have multiple chances beyond that. Acts chapter 5, we see where we would see where Peter gets another chance. They're before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you, that is Peter and the others, that you, you are not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. This is the very same guy, the same Peter, telling these Jewish authorities, we're going to obey God and not men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those obey. And so the Sanhedrin's sitting there and they're like, what do we do with these guys? What do we do with them? We can scold them, we can threaten them, and they send them out. And then one of the leaders raises up and says, if this is of God, there's nothing we can do. And Peter and the other guys are listening outside and they're like, they don't know what to do because God is so awesome. And then they bring them back inside in the next couple of verses. And we see that when they call the apostles in, they beat them. They charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So here's Peter. He says, they're telling him, silence, stop speaking in this name. And Peter said, no, not this time. Not this time. I've been here before. And this time I'm speaking up for my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I will not cease to speak for him. And they beat him. Other, if you have an NIV, it says that instead of uh, beating them, they flogged them, which would have been the whipping that Jesus would have received. And as you can imagine, Peter lying there in his blood, and he's just got a smile on his face and rejoicing that he was able to suffer for the name of Christ. He was given a second chance. But he wasn't perfect. He still had his struggles just like you and I. He had a second chance, but yet there were other times that he was still confronted and need to be confronted. Galatians tells us that uh, Paul, uh, Cephas, that's the uh, Aramaic name of Peter, when, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking here. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul sees Peter looks at his hypocrisy and how he's leading others into hypocrisy and he calls him out and Peter would be like, oh yeah, I remember this one. This is the time that I was confronted by Paul to my face. Not behind my back, but the apostle Paul came up and said, you're not living in step with the gospel. And this is Peter who had the vision of the sheet with all the unclean animals that came down on it. It came down twice and both times. Jesus says, hey, kill and eat this. He said, no, I can't eat unclean stuff. And Jesus says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And he was speaking more than just food. He's talking about the Gentiles being brought in and being having the same gospel as the Jews. And yet here's Peter going back to his old ways, fearing men what the Jews thought of him and living in hypocrisy. And this is for another example of the Christian life, is even as we grow in Christ, we need to be careful of areas that are not in step with the gospel, that we're living hypocritically. And we need to receive the faithful wounds of a friend like Paul, who come and confront us and say, the way that you're living is wrong. It's not in step with the gospel that you're speaking of, the gospel that you're preaching. I don't have to name your sins. You know we're in places where you can be hypocritical. You know where you struggle. 
Are you closed off and say, I'm not going to take any rebuke in that area? No, I mean, you can rebuke me in other areas, but that, that's one that uh, I've just learned to live with. No, that's not what, what Peter does. He takes the rebuke, and he had a faithful friend that came and rebuked him in the midst of his hypocrisy. He was willing to be sharpened when he was out of step with the gospel. You see, Peter is an example of the up and downs of the Christian life. He was living out for us what he writes in his letter to the churches. He says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim, our desire, our goal is to please him. Knowing that we're not always going to please him in our conduct and what we say and what we do, but that's our aim, that's our goal. He had bumps and bruises, mess ups, sins along the way, but ultimately, Peter finished well. Peter finished really well. John chapter 21, we've already been in verse 18 and 19. This is right after his restoration. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is talking here. When you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you'd stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And John tells us this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter were to look at this back on his time hop and he would see this is the time that Jesus was true to his word when I was martyred. Jesus foretells him. He says, Peter, when you're gonna get old, someone's gonna stretch your hand out on a cross, they're gonna take your clothes away from you and you will die and you will glorify me in your death. Now church history tells us that Peter did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was, so he requested to be crucified upside down. Now you look at that, and you think, really, is that finishing well? I mean, that doesn't look like my best life now. I mean, this is, that, that's well? That's, that's, what, that's the best life? Yes. Glorifying God is the best life Peter finished so well. He lived for the glory of God and he died for the glory of God. This is what God says, this is the best way. It's not the American dream, it's not what we would want it to be, but this is not a wasted life, this is abundant life. Living through and with the Savior in the power of the Holy Spirit wherever he was to bring us. So I wanna ask us here, just by recalling these, these pictures again for us, in your mind, I want us to think about what stage of your life are you in when you look at Peter's life? Is your mind set on the things of man rather than God? When you look at your life and you think things should be working out differently for me and you in your mind, maybe not outwardly, but you're rebuking God for the life that you have. This, is, this situation isn't good. This isn't what I want. This is not the decision that I would have made. Other people are making this decision for me and here I am, I'm angry about it. I'm mad and I'm telling God about it. Have you stepped out in faith 
and you've walked out onto that water when no one else has but the cares of the world, the waves and the wind around you, you've lost sight of Jesus. You're sinking and you're, you're under the water and you need to trust Christ and take your eyes off of the world and focus in, laser focus on the author and perfecter of your faith. Is that where you at? Are you distant with the cares of the world? They're taking you away. Are you in a place of denial like Peter? Do people know where you work and where you live that you're a Christian? Not just that you look nice and you drive away on Sundays, but do they know that you know Christ? When times have come, did you speak boldly of Jesus? I've been in that box before with Peter. Are you at a point of restoration, that fourth box, where you've screwed up and you know it, and Jesus is ready to restore you? If we confess our sins, John chapter 1, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He still wants to use you. He can still use you. And are you at that point now where God is presenting you with a second chance? He's presenting you with an opportunity where you can't change your past, you can't change the decisions you've made, but he's given you an opportunity now to speak on his behalf, to obey God rather than man in whatever opportunity God is bringing into your life. Take it. Seize that opportunity. Experience that life, abundant life that God is calling you to. And then are you in a place where you need to be sharpened, where your life is out of step with the gospel, sin that has crept in, hypocrisy that's keeping you from experiencing the joy of your salvation? David had been there. That's why he says, God, I haven't lost my salvation, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Are you joyless? Sin, hypocrisy will do that. When others, you allow them to come in and, and sharpen your life and you respond to it. A rebuke from someone, you tense up and go, I don't like that, which that's usually what we do. But do you let it sink in and think, where's some truth in this? And where is my life not lining up with the truths of Christ and who he is? These things are all true if you're a, a Christian. You can be in one of these stages. Peter models for us, but ultimately we'll continue to the end if we know Christ. But none of these things matter unless you have the other two. And that is that you confess Christ, as Peter did. That Jesus is not just a great teacher. He's not just a great man or a great guru or even one of the prophets, but that he is Lord. Uh, Paul records in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit must reveal that to us. He's revealing that to you and showing your need for Christ. Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Christ raised him from the dead? If you do that, you will be saved. And you'll enter into this abundant life and eternal life with Christ. But first, you gotta count the cost. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It was literally for Peter. But it's for a life of self-denial, a life of saying, I'm going to give up my way of living, my way of thinking to deny my own self 
to live for Christ and experience the joy that comes of losing your life so that you can find it. Father in heaven, thank you for Peter. Thank you for his life. His ups, some of them we didn't get to look at. He, he had some amazing opportunities that you gave to him that he took advantage of. Some of his mistakes we didn't get to look at either, where he messed it up really bad. But yet you've restored him, you used him, you've indwelt him with your Holy Spirit, and he went on to do wonderful things. While you built your church on that confession that he said, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. God, we pray at Sailorville Church, the church at Sailorville, we would build our church upon that confession and continue to do so, and that we would build our lives on that, that we would walk by faith, corporately and individually, keeping our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, willing to be sharpened by other Christians to adjust ourselves to you when we're out of step with the gospel and to keep going as Peter did, to keep trusting, to keep following, and knowing that you are what it's all about. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.